0: Hey there! Welcome to Episode 3, which is Part 2 of the Deltona Massacre story. My name is Holly, and I'm the host of this new weekly podcast, Tell Me a True Crime Story. Within the next few episodes, I plan to tell you a little bit about myself, my background, and why I started a true crime podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My promises to you and myself as I start this new podcast are really very simple. I promise to get better over time as far as writing, researching, recording, and improving the overall sound quality of my podcast. And I promise to deliver well-researched stories in a thoughtful way. I have some small favors to ask of you. I know you are very busy, but if you would do these things for me, it would really help my podcast grow. Please subscribe to my podcast and set your settings to download new episodes as they are released. Please tell your friends and family about my podcast. And please follow the podcast social media pages. Where I will post pictures relevant to each episode and in general, just keep you updated about the podcast. Most of the pictures that I've posted so far on social media are pictures that I took myself, and I take road trips when I can so that I can take my own pictures. So on Facebook, you can follow me at Tell Me a True Crime Story, on Instagram at Tell Me a True Crime Story, and on Twitter, at tell me a TCS pod. I really and truly appreciate you allowing me to keep you company as you go about your day. So this is episode three, part two of the Deltona Massacre. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that first so that everything will make sense. And just to let you know, there will be a part three of this story, and that will be the final part. This episode contains some pretty graphic details, so you won't want to listen to this in the presence of any kids. Now, let me tell you a true crime story. When we ended part one last week, a painting contractor by the name of Christopher Carroll, he arrived at 3106 Telford Lane, around 7 a.m. in Deltona, Florida, to pick up two of his workers. Their names were Roberto Gonzalez and Anthony Vega. All these guys were going to be driving together to Tampa that day for a painting job. Christopher Carroll rang the doorbell and knocked on the door, but no one answered. Then the door just, popped open. It appeared to have been kicked in. Carol entered. He looked into the master bedroom, which was just off to his right, and he saw a bed tipped up on its side with blood all over it. So he called 911. Now, what responding officers discovered that morning, no human should ever have to witness. The house was a total bloodbath. There was blood on the floors, the walls, and the ceilings. Court documents detail what a brutal, heinous, living hell these victims suffered through before they were either knocked unconscious or killed by the massively forceful blows of the metal bats. The moments of pure terror and mental anguish they had to endure were so unbelievably cruel. So, this is what happened. It was the wee hours of the morning, about 1 a.m., and the victims were all presumably sleeping. I believe all of the victims had to work that morning. They most likely heard the door suddenly burst open with the single kick that broke the deadbolt lock and the door frame. Reports indicate that all four perpetrators split up and went to different parts of the house to attack their victims so the killers were attacking, attacking them almost immediately after entering. Therefore, the victims had virtually no time to react or grab a weapon to defend themselves. 18-year-old Jerome Hunter was the first to enter the house and immediately attacked victim 17-year-old Jonathan Gleason, who was in a recliner in the living room. Another victim, Roberto Gonzalez, who had also been in the living room with Jonathan Gleason, he ran to a back bedroom. 18-year-old Michael Salas chased him back there and hit him in the head with a bat. 27-year-old Troy Victorino, standing at about 6'6 and weighing around 270 pounds, went directly to the master bedroom immediately upon entering the house. In the master bedroom is where victims Aaron Belanger, who was 22 years old, and her boyfriend, Flacco Ayo Roman, who was 30 years old. That's where they were sleeping. Jonathan Gleason tried to get up from the recliner in the living room, but Victorino came out of the master bedroom and hit him in the back of the head with a bat. Jonathan Gleason did not move again. According to Hunter, Victorino ordered him to, quote-unquote, go help the others. In another back bedroom, Hunter found 18-year-old perpetrator Robert Cannon and 34-year-old victim Anthony Vega, quote-unquote, swinging at each other. Vega had a stick, and he was attempting to fight off Cannon with it. After Salas hit Anthony Vega on the shoulder with his bat, Anthony Vega dropped his stick. Then Victorino entered and said something to Anthony Vega in Spanish. Hunter said Vega's eyes got really wide at this point. Now, there's no telling what Victorino said to victim Anthony Vega in Spanish, but no doubt... Victim Anthony Vega was feeling hopeless and pure terror at that point. Victorino began to beat Anthony Vega after pushing Hunter and Cannon out of the way. Salas was still in a back bedroom beating Roberto Gonzalez, who had retreated back there from the living room when the group first broke in. Salas yelled for help, and Cannon went to him and helped him beat Roberto Gonzalez. Salas later testified that Hunter found 19-year-old victim Michelle Nathan hiding in a closet under laundry. She pleaded for her life, but Hunter beat her to death and stabbed her. At some point, Aaron Belanger's little dachshund named George was stomped to death. It's not clear which of the perpetrators killed little George. Imagine that scene for a moment and the victim's last moments on this earth. The shock, the panic, the screams, the pain, the despair, the pleading, The terror, the agony, the chaos, their last moments were a pure living hell on earth. Medical examiner Dr. Thomas Beaver performed the autopsies on the bodies of the victims. The injuries to their bodies were numerous and devastating, as you can imagine. The following are some, but not all, of the injuries that were inflicted on these poor, innocent people. They'd tried to fight back and fight off their attackers. They had defensive injuries to their arms and hands to prove that. They had contusions, which are bruises, all over various parts of their bodies, their shoulders, their arms, their faces, their heads, necks. They had sharp force injuries, stab wounds, cuts, and lacerations. Two of them had incised wounds to the neck through the jugular vein, arteries, or trachea. Most of their faces were unrecognizable because the bony structure of their faces had been crushed. Teeth were missing in at least two of the victims. At least one of the victims had their jaw fractured. Their heads had gaping wounds, and some had gaping wounds on other parts of their bodies, too. There were skulls that were deformed and fragmented, and fragments of their skulls lacerated their brains. Some had basilar skull fractures, which is a break at the base of the skull. This is the most serious type of skull fracture and takes substantial devastating force to inflict. One of the female victims was brutally raped with a bat. There was much trauma, damage, and injury caused to her body. I could give you more awful, disturbing details, but it's not necessary. You get the point. Aaron, Flacco, Jonathan... Roberto, Michelle, and Anthony all had their lives stolen in a most ferocious, barbaric, merciless way. The victim's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. The stab wounds and incised wounds on the victims were most likely inflicted post-mortem. And the sexual assault with a baseball bat On, one of the female victims was committed post-mortem. According to court documents, tasked with documenting the crime scene was Florida Department of Law Enforcement crime scene investigator Stacy Colton. She photographed a heel print on the front door located 36 inches up from the floor. This was at the level of the front door handle. By the front door, she also photographed footwear impressions that measured 13 inches in length. That print was later matched to Troy Victorino's Lugs brand name boot. Colton sketched where each victim was located and the placement of furniture. There were broken lamps, furniture was askew, and televisions were knocked down a knife handle and a bloody knife were recovered from the house. In a corner of the dining room, the Orlando Sentinel reported, a composition notebook was recovered that had written in it the non-emergency telephone number for the Volusia County Sheriff's Office and the names Victorino, Troy, Jerome, and Jerome. And abcnews.com com online article stated that from the beginning, investigators believed that the victims knew their killers. The investigation quickly led them to Troy Victorino. He'd been overheard by several vowing revenge for the quote-unquote theft of his Xbox gaming system and clothes from the Providence Boulevard home of Aaron Belanger's grandparents. Then Sheriff Ben Johnson of the Volusia County Sheriff's Office told NBC News that Troy Victorino's possessions had been found at Aaron's home where the murders occurred, quote, unquote, boxed up waiting for him. In this news article, Sheriff Ben Johnson also stated that, quote, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my career. By this time, former Sheriff Johnson had been in law enforcement for 33 years. So in 33 years, this is the worst thing he'd ever seen, (laughs) which is uh, totally believable. So, when investigators began to question family and friends of the victims and other witnesses, they learned of the events leading up to the murders on Telford Lane. Because Troy Victorino had been heard by several people stating that he was angry that Aaron quote-unquote stole his property, he was developed as a suspect. The day after the murders, on Saturday, August 7, 2004, Troy Victorino and Jerome Hunter were found in Deltona, Florida. Victorino was arrested on a felony probation violation and Hunter was initially questioned as a witness. 18-year-old Jerome Hunter confessed and implicated Troy Victorino, Michael Salas, and Robert Cannon in the killings as well. Sheriff Ben Johnson and Chief Deputy Billy Lee arrested Michael Salas and Robert Cannon later that same night. They both confessed, too. Troy Victorino never did. Court documents in this case state that in late August of 2004, a grand jury indicted all four suspects in a 15-count indictment the state attorney's office intended to seek the death penalty on all four co-defendants. They served notice of this decision on September 1, 2004. On May 5, 2006, there was a change of venue in this case from Volusia County, Florida to St. John's County, Florida, which is a couple of hours drive away from Deltona, Florida. Robert Cannon, the driver of the white expedition used to drive to the home where the murders occurred, ended up pleading guilty in exchange for a life sentence and his testimony against the other three suspects, Troy Victorino, Jerome Hunter, and Michael Salas. However, during the trial of his former co-defendants, he refused to answer questions from the prosecuting attorney. He said that he wasn't guilty and that he wanted a trial. Robert Cannon lost his bid for his own trial. Instead, he was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Cannon is held in close custody at Sumter Correctional Institution as inmate number C-00095. Sumter Correctional Institution is an all-male institution housing mixed-level security offenders those that are held in minimum, medium, and close custody. It houses both adult and youthful offenders and is among the largest of Florida's state prisons. It is home to over 1,600 prisoners. Michael Salas was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He is currently held in close custody at Central Florida Reception Center, East Unit located in Orlando, Florida, as inmate number C-00014. The Central Florida Reception Center East Unit is a state prison for men and houses both short-term and long-term offenders. On July 25, 2006, Troy Victorino was found guilty on 10 counts of the indictment. One count of obstruction of a crime scene investigation Six counts of first degree murder, one count of abuse of a dead human body with a weapon, one count of armed burglary of a dwelling with a weapon, and one count of cruelty to animals. On August 1st, 2006, the jury recommended the death penalty for counts two, three, four, and five. Count two was for the first degree murder of Aaron Belanger. Count three was for the first degree murder of Flaco I.O. Raman. Count four was for the first degree murder of Jonathan Gleason. Count five was for the first degree murder of Roberto Gonzalez. On counts two and three, the jury voted ten to two for death. On count four, the jury voted seven to five for death, and on count five, the jury voted nine to three for death. On September 17, 2006, the Honorable Judge William A. Parsons upheld the jury's recommended verdict and sentenced Troy Victorino to death. Troy Victorino is held under maximum security custody at Union Correctional Institution as inmate number 898405. Union Correctional Institution is Florida's oldest prison. It opened in 1913. It is an all-male facility located in Rayford, Florida, and houses over 2,100 inmates. Also, on August 1, 2006, the jury recommended Jerome Hunter be put to death. Their vote was 10-2 to in favor of the death penalty for the first-degree murder of Jonathan Gleason. 9 to 3 for the first degree murder of Roberto Gonzalez, 10 to 2 for the first degree murder of Michelle Nathan, and 9 to 3 for the first degree murder of Anthony Vega. On September 21, 2006, the Honorable Judge William A. Parsons upheld the jury's recommended verdict and sentenced Jerome Hunter to death as well. Jerome Hunter is held under maximum security custody at Union Correctional Institution as inmate number V26165. This has been Part 2 of the Deltona Massacre. Definitely join me next week for the third and final part of this story. Thank you again so much for giving my new podcast a shot. I hope that you'll continue to listen. Please subscribe to my podcast and set your settings to download new episodes as they are released. Please tell your friends and family about my podcast. And please follow the podcast social media pages where I will post pictures that are relevant to each episode and I'll keep you updated about the podcast. Many of the pictures that I post are pictures that I took myself. They're not stock photos. So on Facebook, you can follow me at Tell Me a True Crime Story. On Instagram, the same thing, at Tell Me a True Crime Story. And on Twitter, it's at Tell Me a TCS Pod. So please tune in next week and I'll tell you another true crime story.